Hello everyone, my name is Glenn Gao. I am the marketing partner at Clear Ventures, a venture capital firm that is purpose-built to help startup teams win in business technology and services. Welcome to Clear Disruptors, a VC talks with tech leaders, where I talk to innovative thinkers, entrepreneurs, and inventors that will shape our future. From the sharpest minds on the cutting edge of technology, you will learn about the disruptions that will transform the way the business world works. And now, on to our show. Today, I am very pleased to welcome Lou Tucker. Lou is the VP and CTO of Cloud Computing at Cisco Systems. Lou's responsible for shaping the future cloud strategy and products at Cisco. He is also currently driving Cisco's contribution to the OpenStack Open Source Cloud Project and is vice chairman of the OpenStack Foundation's Board of Directors. Lou not only has a BS in biology and engineering, a very interesting combination, I would say, from Cornell University, but he also has a PhD in computer science from New York University. Lou, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Glenn, same here. You and I were talking earlier, Lou, about change and how change is happening faster than ever, in particular how change relates to what's happening in the cloud world. Share with us some of your your thoughts on what's happening there. Sure. Well, you know, I think we're all seeing this these massive amounts of kind of disruptions of different industries, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, hospitality with Airbnb or transportation and taxis with Uber or Netflix. And, and when you start to think about it, it seems like it's happening faster and faster and faster. And it made me sort of want to wonder why that is happening. We, we know about things such as Moore's Law, but it seemed to be much more uh, much deeper than that, and that uh, as a CTO, I'm often asked like, how do you how do you deal with this kind of rapid change and and uh, with businesses uh, being affected so so directly on this? And so, what do we do about this ever inche- ever increasing sort of rate of change? And 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 you mentioned Moore's law, but you implied there are other things that are impacting the speed at which things are changing. What what are those? Yeah, I actually think about it in terms of. Maybe, you know, there, there are three big, you know, I mean, sort of giants in uh, uh, our industry here. One is Gordon Moore, Moore's Law, who recognized that, you know, the, the, the price of computing was essentially uh, dropping in half every 18 months and computers getting faster and smaller. But also Adam Smith in terms of uh, we've got, you know, the marketplace and the marketplace is responsible for how we communicate ideas and how inventions and innovations get get pushed around the world. And then also Medcap's law, which is uh, really looking at what happened with, like, for example, fax machines and the value of a fax machine goes up by the square of the number of them. So when you have devices that are interconnected, the value goes up as the square of those that are participating in the network. So, so, we have, we have, so we have dropping yeah. technology costs, Right. we have marketplaces, and then we have the network effect. Exactly right. And then that just, we've seen this happen, for example, in um, electrical power generation and the growth of the grid, uh, so that we now have electricity everywhere. But m- even more importantly, the internet, I think, is the example of what's happening today to 
really take these innovations and inventions and allowing it to dis- to you know sort of disrupt these major industries. So let's talk about some of those disruptions, and in particular, let's talk about what's happening in the world of software and the cloud. Sure. Well, I think uh, you know Mark Andreessen once said, you know, software is eating the world, and um, whether it's eating it or not, we're, we it certainly is changing the world. Sure. And, and some people think about this as as because information that, that is bits. Um, can move much faster than atoms, and they're much easier to move around. So, Is that right? Faster than atoms? Well, we can. Well, atoms are heavy. Atoms have weight. Bits are essentially are theoretical uh, concepts of information, and so information can spread throughout communities uh, just on a wire. Uh, whereas inventions that had to be uh, transported around through, you know, through commerce and through trade routes historically and everything else. That's a very slow way to move right. move change around the world. Right. With the internet, now change is almost instantaneous around the world. Right. And that's true with the way uh, software is being developed nowadays. Right. It's just uh, it just sort of shows up. Uh, if I'm if I'm connected to the cloud, I don't even know that I have a new software running on uh, that I'm interacting with. And that's exactly right. I think it's really interesting when we look at, for example, GitHub today. Um, and and yeah, let's, let's tell for some of the people who don't know GitHub, just describe sure, what that sure. is. Sure. Uh, well, let's even start with uh, with open source software okay. to begin with. I think uh, in the past, the software industry was based on proprietary software. You would develop this. We have big companies such as Oracle based upon that. And that made it, you know, you could protect your intellectual property. You can sell your software. But an awful lot of people started looking at it, for example, in terms of Linux uh, which is an op, uh, open source operating system that was developed in the open. That was developed in essentially the community itself. Lots of developers from different companies working together um, on the internet to develop this software that then was given away freely. Now, l- l- let me just stop you for a second there. Uh, we're talking about change and we're talking about a new way of developing software. What motivates people to develop software where there's no economic benefit? <laughs> Great question. Um, it's, it's really puzzling, but I think it has to do with the fact that most of us who are inventors, and I think developers and programmers certainly are, um, we're, we're partially artists in that we like to see our work used. We like to see other people uh, play with it. And so part of the motivation, I think, is that you're impressing your friends, you're, you're sharing your software, and this goes all the way back into the, the roots of the personal computer with the homebrew um, computer club right, uh, very that beginning. started in very beginning of Silicon Valley, that got those people got together because they wanted to share what they had discovered and what they had made. So it's a fundamental part of the human existence, I think, for us to want to to share and collaborate with others. And open source is just the, the latest way that we're doing that. So how is that impacting what we're going to be seeing in the world that you operate in? Yeah, so it it comes back again to this question of of the rate of change with so much software being developed now. We had mentioned GitHub as GitHub is a place where you can upload software, you can develop software and share it with others. It's a huge, huge repository of different software applications and projects and code. And right now, there's over 35 million projects that are on GitHub. That's and stunning. anybody, That's in, stunning. no matter where they are in the world, they're sitting in a Starbucks. Um, in Istanbul, and they can find the software and they can download the software onto their their laptop or whatever, modify it, work with it, and then perhaps contribute changes back up into the community. 
That's amazing. 35 million projects. So what, so what are people working on and, and, and how does it relate to the cloud? So, so one of the projects I'm, I'm deeply involved with is OpenStack. And OpenStack um, is, a, is a set of projects, actually, uh, designed to allow anybody to essentially run their own cloud in their own data center, similar to Amazon. So it's a cloud computing platform that has a way for users to be able to spin up virtual machines, attach to key value stores, create cloud applications in their own data center on software that's freely available. And there's over 400 companies. I think our last release had something like 12,000 developers contributing to the latest release of OpenSec. Okay, so what's the advantage for any uh, enterprise to use OpenStack? Yeah, there's several, I think. Uh, first of all, um, it is software, so it's just software. They can use it as they as they please. Uh, that's I'm I'm differentiating that from something that we see, for example, Amazon's AWS, or on Google or Microsoft Azure, which is software d- being delivered as a service. Those are cloud platforms. Right, right. And that's where in, in an Amazon and a public cloud model, you go and you use their servers and you run you build your applications there. Some companies, however, for either regulatory reasons, financial reasons, uh, investments they've already made in their own data center, want to run a cloud on-premise in their own data center. Okay. And so they can do that using OpenStack. Uh, They can download OpenStack, and they can set it up, and they can now run their own private cloud that looks very, very similar to what you see in the public cloud and develop their own cloud applications. And many of the big companies, if you look at eBay – um, PayPal and others are running OpenStack, and then they're running their service on top of that. But they don't have to pay anybody for that OpenStack software. So that sounds like a pretty good value. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the greatest value, though, is probably not the, the direct economic one from the, the cost of the software, because they still have to invest in engineering resources and everything else. But it's in the value that the company gets um, through their own engineering teams. They are now on a platform in which they can develop their own applications much, much faster. Uh, that's been shown time and again that developing on a cloud, your applications on a cloud platform is, is much faster. Also, it becomes something that people like to work on open source. So in terms of recruiting engineers, many companies are very proud of the fact and advertising the fact that their engineers are working on open source software oh, and contributing that back into the community. So you attract the best talent by using open source. So even if I'm uh, an engineer that's going to work for a commercial organization like a PayPal, mm-hmm. um, the fact that I am working on OpenStack and I can contribute to the open source community is a real recruiting tool. Absolutely. And, and it's not just a recruiting tool, but also a way of training people. You can now, when you're, when you're looking for engineers, uh, since OpenStack is being run at, at hundreds of companies, they can expect to find engineers that have been trained on OpenStack and will come up to speed immediately. It's really interesting, Lou, because um, I've always held the belief that it's what's most important to people is how they advance their own career. And, mm-hmm. and what you're representing is an opportunity for me as an engineer to actually show the work I've done while I'm, while I'm, and build my career irrespective of what I'm doing in my day to day work. 
Exactly um, right. And, so, and, and if the company's supporting that, that's even better. That means I'm going to become more valuable over time because of the work I'm doing. Exactly, exactly right. So side projects, for engineers, I think side projects are always important. Um, you want to be working on a, you know, a project that you're really passionate about uh, that may or may not line up with what you're doing uh, in your day-to-day job. Right. Uh, but it keeps you fresh and it keeps you connected to sort of the latest tools and the latest technologies. Um, and one of the beautiful things about the Internet is, in fact, that all, you know, with this kind of sharing economy we have now, people have put up great tutorials about just about any technology imaginable. There's YouTube videos. There's Coursera training that can take place. There's all sorts of opportunities um, uh, to see actually what other engineers are even making who have these technologies and get get them the training online, um, even in some of the most cutting-edge technologies, such as um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Many of the engineers, they, that wasn't really taught while they were in school. And oh, now right, they can get, right. get that training online, and therefore they can keep their skills current and go in and get the best jobs. Let's, t- let's touch on that topic for a moment, Lou, uh, AI and machine learning, because everyone I talk to is of, of really interested in what's happening in that world. How does that apply or what examples can you talk to uh, to this this area of disruption we're talking about here? Sure. I think actually it's interesting about, you know, uh, when I was uh, just finishing my Ph.D., my Ph.D. was in artificial intelligence. Uh, so you were, back you were in, one of the first then. In, in 1984, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and um what was interesting, we, I had joined a company called Thinking Machines. Oh, sure. And Thinking Machines uh, was a Boston, Cambridge um, company. Um, we were mostly uh, PhDs. We were building the world's fastest machines at 65,000 processors. We were, we were a company that was designed to go after artificial intelligence applications, but the machines weren't powerful enough. So uh-huh. we had to build our machine that would be large enough that we would be able to uh, to do this. So we built a machine that had 65,000 processors. Um, it was a true supercomputer in, in that class of machines for one or two years. I think we held the, the world's title for being the fastest machine. Um, and, and in fact, I always liked the, the tagline that we used to have, which was, we want to build a machine that will be proud of us. <laughs> so I love that. It, it, it had that, that kind of, of maybe a little too much hubris. But uh, we really were going after the, the, the most powerful machine because we wanted to attack the most um, hardest problems. And those were in machine learning, uh, pattern recognition, machine vision, uh, and artificial intelligence. So bring us to the current day. So that's AI's back. What's interesting, we went through a period of time. Uh, those in the industry called it AI winter in which a lot of funding uh, for artificial intelligence companies dried up. Right. Uh, the government uh, national research lab started no longer were investing as much in AI. And most of it had to do with the fact that a lot of the applications, we didn't have the machines that were fast enough. And But what we've seen in the last couple of years, particularly, and this ties again back to the Internet, with the amount of data now that we have available on the Internet by connecting so many people, um, we have now a huge, huge data sets, and that's what was really missing. Uh-huh. Large, large data sets, large number of machines working together, uh, faster machines, 
now we can create uh, artificial intelligence applications that truly uh, can uh, start to compete with them. Uh, we've seen with humans, we've seen recently um, that Lee Sunil, um, you know, lost one of the, is a, who was a Go championship, lost against um, Google's AlphaGo. So even in a complex uh, game such as Go, now we have a machine that can be at the, at the level of, of our human experts. So Lee Sodal was the uh, Go world champion. and uh, That's true. And, and Google's yes. AI defeated him. Yep. And one of the interesting things I found about that is that, so AlphaGo was trained on, you know, all of the, the, the games, thousands of Go games that we've, you know, documented and, and chronicled over the years. So just and to clarify, how, Alpha, AlphaGo is uh, Google's uh, player of that's Go. That's right. right. Yes. Okay. It, it, it's, it's Google's um, artificial intelligence um, program that was that is designed to play Go. Okay. And it was it was given a lot of games to study and to analyze, and it uses a, a neural net, um, which we can come back to, to do this. But it, it reached a certain plateau, and it wasn't getting any better. And in the final days, right before uh, the match, uh, they decided to have AlphaGo, one version of AlphaGo, play another version of AlphaGo. So AlphaGo was now playing against itself. And when it started to do that, it saw a dramatic improvement. Really? And this is because now there were new moves that were created that were that didn't come out of, of, of a human player. This was another machine it was playing against. And so, one, it could now have essentially an infinite number of games that it could start to play and it improved at a much, much faster rate. So that's what I think we're going to start to see. It's um, one of the things that technology that's based on is neural nets, which have been around for 25 or 30 years, but now we finally have the computing power uh, that allows us to use these effectively. Okay, so I'm hearing a few themes here as we uh, will need to wrap up shortly, Lou, but I'm hearing a few themes. One, one is the collaborative effort of humans working together on projects um, along, yes. along with those technologies that support that. Two is data and the ability to have access to large amounts of data um, that transform yep. the way we can process information because we have so much we can we can uh, understand there's a there's it's a knowledge base and then then the third is that computing power yes exactly so I just want to ask you then what do you see happening in the the near-term future, let's call it within the next five years, that we should be on the lookout for, or if we're thinking about our own career here, that we should be thinking about uh, being aware of or getting involved in? Yeah, yeah, great question. So I think one of the things that's becoming obvious now is that um, AI really is beginning, I think, of, of, a, of a new direction for how we we interact with computers and we, as we start using voice with computers, yeah. um, we, we need to have uh, intelligence behind it because we don't, you know, language is ambiguous. You can only uh, know what somebody's talking about um, through context. Right. So you need to have intelligence systems as, as we move into sort of voice driven applications. I think AI and learning is going to be almost built into everything that we're doing because you want the machines to adapt. One, one of the things that you know, human do, humans do very well is that we are constantly adapting to our environment. We're learning new things. Um, we are interacting with a new person and we adapt our behavior. Right. 
programs in the past have been very rigid. And we sort of went through a phase which we now had a user interface. And so now the human could be involved with the program by clicking on things and everything else. But we need to go even further. And so understanding the capabilities of what artificial intelligence can bring, what machine learning can bring, I think will be very important to people. Because I think in, in the future, we're, we're going to see is not only are we going to have machine uh, sort of systems that are set up with almost, you know, um, a, a blank slate that you will then train instead of program. Oh, wow. So it'll, we'll start to see, I think, a combination of programming, sort of the rough outlines of what you expect a, 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 an application to do. But then you want to be able to have humans built into the loop. So as developers are thinking about n- developing new systems and services and programs, I'd like us to all to sort of start to think about how do we keep a human in the loop? How do we make the human interaction a part of this? And learning from that. And, and there, there are some very you know, simple ways to sort of do that, uh, particularly as we now are starting to connect systems up to each other. And so I think of Alexa, <laughs> you know, where we now Great can example. talk and, and, and Alexa can interact with a large number of other services. Those other services, in fact, I think that we'll see are going to be driven um, by these kinds of componentry that Alexa does uh, speech understanding other components can get access to your email or your social network, and all of those things will, will come about, you know, in terms of these, like, much more kind of intelligent ways of, of solving problems that, that we're asking our computers to do. Well, I like, I like what you said. We need to really think about how AI and learning is going to be central well, you didn't say central, but it's going mm-hmm. to be involved in almost everything we do going forward. Yeah, I think that we'll, we we want to have you know smarter machines. We certainly, um, I know that when uh, those of us who have been you know if you're on a on a call and it has a very rigid menu and saying press three for this and press four, and you're trying to go up and down this hierarchy, that's a very poor way to do things. Right. You would like to be able to have the system much more learn through interactions, again, with large numbers of people uh, to get better. And so that over time, I think we're, we're seeing, for example, Google's doing a lot with their search um, that is trying to learn behaviors so that it can respond with the results um, that are more accurate and more tuned to what the user is looking for. Well, I am looking forward to what this combination of collaboration and data and technology, especially in the areas of AI, are going to bring for us, Lou. And uh, we're out of time. So uh, I really want to thank you for sharing your thoughts with us, um, especially given where, where you're operating. You're, you're seeing things that a lot of us can't see. And I, I really appreciate you sharing your view of the future with us as well. Absolutely. No, this has been, this has been fun. All right, Lou. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Clear Ventures, visit us at clear.ventures. We look forward to hearing from you.